0: The following is my explanation. Well, more of an account of what happened. I'd been on my own for a while and getting kind of lonely and bored. Nothing to do all day. And
1: that's when I started shadowing. 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 I started to follow people. Who? Anyone, first.
0: Um, I mean, that was the whole point. Somebody around. Somebody who didn't know who I
1: was. And then? And then, nothing. Nothing? Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co host Mike. We begin a new year, fresh with with, with new films, and, and I can't believe we're starting with one that I found so immensely boring. The 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 untouched Actually, for our regular listeners, <laughs> that's right on
0: point for Webb. <laughs> I chose this and now I'm disappointed with it. <laughs>
1: Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> Beginning the new year a lot like the old year, <laughs> right, right? The more the more things change, the more they say the same, right? We are talking the golden child of of modern cinema, the one who uh, I, my brother, the, the film major. Uh, a lot of the people in his kids' uh, coursework, his his fellow classmates, re- like they look at certain individuals and they look at Chris Nolan very highly. He's the the self taught filmmaker, you know. This guy is right up there, and I was kind of shocked to hear that, and we're talking his first film, the 1998 or 1999, if you're writing a film book and need to <laughs> squeeze it in, <laughs> uh, we're talking following. If, if the central theme
0: is about the year 1999, yeah, you, you pretty damn well need to make sure that it had some connection to that year, uh, which I guess, it never really got a wide release, but if you did see it theatrically, it would have. Probably been in nineteen ninety nine, but most likely not. I don't. I don't know. What, when did you did you? Is this a first time watch? Is this gonna be like a hate fueled conversation, or is this more of a slow burn over the years with your distaste for
1: it? No, uh, this is not a first time watch, uh, but it might as well have been because I remembered very little about it. I remember not enjoying it when I first watched it, uh, and nothing really changed. To be honest with you, but I have a lot more Chris Nolan films under my belt after. Um, uh, but it, for my initial watch, so but still, this time around, man, I you know, immensely boring. Uh, I thought the acting was bad. All the actors, I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> the thing is, I don't want to let's not pick on too much.
0: I don't think they ever continued in this career. In fact, uh, Cobb, I guess, our, our cool guy, uh, anti hero, I guess, for most of the runtime, he went on to go into what architecture or design oh. or something. And you can actually, like, he has, I think, one little mention of his acting you know career and air quotes uh on that that page uh, where he's like, yeah, I was once in a movie by the guy who directs Batman flicks now. It was pretty cool, but I was pretty bad, so I stopped doing it. I was <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, okay. <laughs> I don't want to pick on the guy too much. He, he realized, like, yeah, this is not for me.
1: No. That's funny, he became an architect, like the fictional Cobb in Inception. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the world's the world is wonderful. But yeah, I don't want to get too bogged down with the bad acting, the, the people who have no screen presence or charisma, because it is a micro-budget, so I get it. I try, I'm trying not to beat up on an already wimpy, you know, individual here. Um, I, I found no investment in the characters. I didn't think the script was good. I thought the score is terrible. You know, all the things that you would expect in, in I guess, a modern Nolan film now, completely absent. But what is here is the craft. And, and that's what you got to appreciate. Much like the Blair Witch Project, which we uh, spoke about.
0: On our Please subscribe, com slash projecting
1: film. On our sister podcast. Please, and thank you. <laughs> uh, we talked about Blair Witch, and, and you have to give it up for the filmmakers, the bravado of these people who are just like, we're going to put this thing together, uh, you know, uh, no matter what. And that's kind of what I appreciate about following. I don't enjoy it, but I appreciate it, and I respect it. Yeah, I think this
0: is one that... Um, unfortunately I did not come to until many years later, like the best or slash worst maybe, um, cause I don't know, uh, time for me to have seen this would have been right after Memento because, uh, that was when Christopher Nolan was at his peak for me, uh, where I was totally blown away. I did get to see that one theatrically, like when it came out in, I think spring of 2001, Um, and I saw it at the, uh, art house theater. Uh, then unfortunately when Webb visited Lexington, uh, we did not have time to take him to, but I think you maybe saw it from the outside, the old Kentucky theater marquee, um, great experience. And I was a teenager at the time I was still in high school. And so I would have been like, Oh, what is this guy? I want to see everything he's done. Um, late. 90s, early 2000s, not you know, not the era we live in now, where it's like okay, three ninety nine at the bare minimum, I can rent it from iTunes or Amazon. No, it's like, what am I going to go to Suncoast and drop forty five bucks <laughs> on like a DVD? Probably not. As I said, high school student, like that's that's a big bet that I'm placing on Mr. Nolan on a seventy minute um, film. <laughs> That also probably would have come into it. The extra features—I don't know if you know—they would have been bare bones on the DVD days. I have no idea. There is obviously like a Criterion version now. I think you said it's on currently on the Criterion Channel, or was. Uh, not only that, but the inter- the entire slate of extras are on there. Great, great. That's when I would have been my most enthusiastic to be a completion completionist in the sense of uh, I like this guy's one piece of work. Let me go collect all the albums. Like, I'm into this rock band. Let me go back to, um, you know, the Benz or something. Okay, computers came out, so I got to go backwards now. Uh, instead, I, I think probably waited probably about a decade. I may have watched it when the Blu-ray came out, which is, you know, overkill. <laughs> <laughs> if there's if there's going to be a 4K release of following, yet again, probably a bit much. Uh, and at that point, like you, I was probably too accustomed to to Christopher Nolan with a budget. I've ju- uh, you know, he he's no longer this this guy that I feel like I've discovered. He is, you know, the second coming of uh a Spielberg. Um or actually probably not the second coming cuz I think it was like what M Night Shyamalan oh, had him like about 5 years. Uh I can't remember which cover it was. Was it Time Magazine that was like the next Spielberg, uh which was an unfortunate, you know, sort of moniker to hang on him cuz he's his own thing. But you know, at that point he's too big, and I hate to say it was not as cool you know to me as he was in two thousand one um so I think I was a little more more negative, but who knows? maybe when I was a teenager I would have been like, "Hey, this is just like a weaker memento like <laughs> in,
1: in the acting so as great <laughs> i don't I don't know no, I don't think it's a weaker memento i i the Memento is, I think, the height of of Chris Nolan. Uh, well, you know, I, I I struggle with Dark Knight because it's Batman, so I, there's already a bias there. There's also a degree of difficulty with the Dark Knight, and I because
0: I'm a great defender of the Dark Knight as like one of the greatest mainstream releases we'll ever see. Just because, and now it's uh, fashionable to kick the Marvel movies because they finally started losing money. Um, but like. The boundaries with which Nolan was working with, with an iconic figure like Batman, a piece of pop culture, and then making his own iconic thing, like the Dark Knight is an iconic movie, not just an iconic Batman movie, I find wholly impressive. I probably still would prefer to watch Memento. If you, if you, just, give me, if you just give me the two, I'd probably prefer yeah. that. But I think the degree of difficulty was higher for using like
1: uh, the Batman character. Agreed. Hall of Fame head coach Bill Cowher, Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, hated trick plays. He hated them. He he wasn't. I love this. I love that we're going into Steelers talk. This is great. (laughs)
0: Let's
1: pick up that Pittsburgh market. (laughs) (laughs) And what's funny is uh, when he finally won his Super Bowl after years and years of losing the championship games uh, and not even approaching the Super Bowl. He got an offensive coordinator who would utilize trick plays. He hated using them, but he did. And he used to say, if you have to trick them, you can't beat them. And I love that. It was It's such a quaint notion. <laughs> Did he just see it as like a, this is a gentleman's game? Like, that's out of bounds, poor form? Right, right. Now it's more, you know, enter Bill Belichick and it's, uh, hey, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. That's the philosophy. He's apparently not doing either in recent times. As I mentioned, this is 2024. (laughs) So... I look at the nonlinear storytelling that Chris Nolan uses quite often in his work, really more of a as a as a crutch, in my opinion, to mask boring film elements. Okay, that's the the cheap trick of the nonlinear storytelling is to keep the audience engaged in something and trying to piece together a puzzle throughout the film because the stuff on screen is not nearly as interesting. Memento is the one movie that where it might look like a trick, but it isn't. It, I think, is a necessity for the film because you need that unique structure in order to live in the mind and the, and, and uh, feel the struggle of the protagonist, uh, Lenny, right? You really need that. And that's why I feel that's the one film I feel like you can get away with this. I mean, look at the prestige. You know, everything is a, a journal within a journal, within somebody's talent. It's overly complicated. And no one... Oh, no. My recollection of us uh, doing the Prestige episode was that we were finally really positive. No, no on we... Nolan film, and now I'm... <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the the content is very po- is, is very good. Gotcha. It's very good. There's no doubt. But I do feel like it's overly convoluted, which is you know th- th- that's Nolan. That's one of his trademarks. And in one of the things in the commentary for following that Nolan says is that you know he he feels like the nonlinear storytelling is very true to life. He says that we piece together bits of information to form narratives in everyday life. Is is that true? Mm, I I, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) My bullshit meter is going off here. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And there is a... That same non-linear thing is in this, and I'm like, well, why? And, and again, I found myself a bit more captivated with what's happening, because like, oh, okay, so his, you know, the main character, the young man, uh, unnamed, I think, is beaten up in this scene, and he's not in this scene, and so I found myself having to <laughs> pay attention when the actual content of what's on screen is not, and that's why I feel like he uses that as a crutch, and... It's not present in Dark Knight, right? It's not present in in his most popular work. So why is he using it here? How do you feel about? You this? mean he he was not clever enough, uh, as
0: in following where it's like, hey, the dude, uh, what is what is our main character's name? He's just the young, young man, man yeah. I think, in the credits. So but Bill, yeah, at different times, Bill, he's Bill. Yeah. Uh, then he gets a credit card, you know, baby's first credit card, and now <laughs> he sees Daniel, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, yeah, he has what long hair. Uh, I'm a writer, kind of shaggy look. Then it's all, all business. He's got the suit on, the short hair. Yeah, he did not have the courage to do that in The Dark Knight with having Two-Face just pop up randomly with half a face in <laughs> the next scene. He's you know beautiful Aaron card again.
1: <laughs> but he could have. Could have done that. Certainly, yeah, absolutely. And, and so even one of the special features in the Criterion uh, uh, disc and. On the Criterion Channel is the linear cut. There's a linear cut of this. Why? Well, I didn't even bother with it. I was like, I was bored enough with the non-linear.
0: Correct version. me if I'm I'm wrong. Was that like a secret? Was that an Easter egg on the Memento DVD? I felt like it. I don't. I never did it myself, but I always like saw that on the internet. But I I also
1: never had any interest in watching it in that fashion same same i was told that it was an easter egg and i believe it's only on the dvd and again like you mentioned the golden age of of physical media was the dvd because it came in a slip case that looked like uh lenny's uh psychological profile and you open it up and it has like lenny's charts and like his (laughs) medical records little things like that man (laughs) just love it
0: movie lovers are are nothing if not you know in inviting that sense of play you know we're going to a dark room to I, I guess that would be the argument against following to to empathize with the characters um and that's what you, you made the point about with memento is that as you were talking about that one using the same narrative structure to tell you know and still playing in these sort of thriller genre um i forget sometimes about uh the quest of, of Guy Pierce Cause there's so many individual scenes where I just, I just feel for the guy, like the situation he's in, not like who's fucking with him not who's calling him, uh, in the black and white sequences, not who's leaving little creepy notes under the door. So <laughs> I, I do miss that. And I, I wonder if that, uh, I wonder if Nolan approved of like the, the DVD being kind of cutesy in that, <laughs> in that fashion or, or not. I kind of miss those, those additions now. Um, this one, you know, because we're doing this in conjunction with our, our Patreon uh, movie book club episodes, this is uh, a very, very brief little little entry because the chapter is divided up into three films, which we will be doing this month in, in January uh, to kind of get everyone hyped up and to also so we can cover more of the the films from, you know, air quotes, 1999. <laughs> <laughs> um, But... I wonder, you know, when we get to the end of this month, we're going to have a, a probably, I think, an interesting little uh, sub conversation uh, because all three films are told in a nonlinear fashion. So we'll just start with with following um, Nolan did this trick again uh, and then again with the prestige. And it kind of was his thing uh, before he got, you know, the Batman money. Then he could. And it, well, even, I guess, Dunkirk in a way, you know, he's he's playing with time as as well. Um, uh-oh, Webb's shaking his head. We've oh, no, not no. featured Dunkirk on the show and probably never will based on that reaction. No, like, I, I, <laughs> you look like you were shot. You
1: whipped your head back. <laughs> like, oh, Lord, Dunkirk. My my uh, experience in Dunkirk was such that I remember asking Dave, I was like, do you think my wife will like Dunkirk? Like the, is, it, is it visual storytelling? Like how? He's like, yeah, no, she won't be confused. I was fucking confused. I was like, the fuck is happening <laughs> in this movie? I had no idea and I felt so bad. Like, I, We drove out. Uh, to like the big theater, the IMAX theater to watch it. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> Anyways, that was the moment that uh, Webb's wife's like, I don't know
0: who this day fellow is, but I don't like him. I don't care <laughs> for him. He wasted my <laughs> evening. <laughs> Check out offscreen death. If you'd like <laughs> for more time wasting from our friend Dave. <laughs> With the, the book that we're currently reading best movie ever, I was a little bit more forgiving uh, to following, uh, you know, shooting on Saturdays for a year. Uh, I, you know, I appreciate people who are attempting to make art that are your average, you know, working Joe's. I mean, I don't know if our uh, villain here uh, was an architecture school or was he just like a George Costanza, just saying that he's an architect (laughs) until he finally became an architect. I don't know. Um, But yeah, doing what one or two takes because they back then, They couldn't afford more film stock, which, you know, that's now uh, a thing of the the past as far as if you're an independent filmmaker. Unless you're like one of those Project Greenlight assholes where you insist on shooting on film when you could just shoot on on digital. Uh, I can appreciate, as you said, the craft, uh, the passion uh, behind this. It's weird, though, because I don't feel any of the passion or energy When watching the movie like it's a it's a very cold calculated thing and no one has been accused of being sort of cold and distant and uh, you know mimicking I guess in tone Stanley Kubrick Uh, which I've never found particularly fair because I actually think that Kubrick you know some of his films are incredibly passionate and incredibly vibrant but. I don't know if it's just because he was bald and wore glasses and was a recluse. Like, he's an intellectual. <laughs> he's cold. I don't
1: know. Like, he would ask his friends. He, he was uh, uh, in Britain at the time. He was like, please. Send, uh, like, he would get VHSs of the Simpsons sent to him because he couldn't get yeah. them. Yeah. So I, I disagree with that as well. So for this, you know, this is going to be one of those things where
0: I, I guess the more you know about it, the more you will have positive feelings towards it uh, as as just a. A, a work of ingenuity uh, and someone getting their foot in the door. It's it's certainly a great, uh, as mentioned in uh, the little brief write up in Best Movie Year Ever. It's um, definitely a calling card film. Like, and no one says it's like I I could get you know actual actors. I could get the financing for Memento because they're like, oh, this guy tells weird movies where we go back and forth. He can probably do it again. He did it once. He'll do it, he'll do it this time. But as an individual thing, I I think it is fairly forgettable. And I, I can only speak to my own experience that I had seen this before, knew that it did the time jump thing. It only has essentially three characters, really. You got two dudes and a blonde and what I think a credited villain as bald guy, who I don't think has a, <laughs> a line in the film. You just point over like, look at that bald dude. He's evil. <laughs> <laughs> and that gets to the crux of the the narrative itself, which is, I think I've always struggled. I like movies about stupid people because we don't often get films about people who are not incredibly gifted or talented in some way. It's like the film has to justify. You're watching this movie about Bob because he's the greatest uh, cellist that ever lived. You don't often get films where it's like, "Ah, this guy's not the best at his job. He's kind of slow. His wife doesn't really care for him. Like, unless it's a comedy where that guy is about to win the lottery or something. But this one really pushes the boundaries for me because I don't find the young man here who decides just to randomly stalk people as, you know, a means of a writing exercise, even though he's never actually writing really anything. The fact that he just, like, takes everything at face value, I don't know, it makes the con, like, less interesting to me because it's just like, well, you just did what you were told every time. Someone said, go pick up a hammer. (laughs) And he went and got himself, like, a hammer. (laughs) Someone said, "Go look in that window," and he goes, "I don't know." Did you did you struggle with that? As far as like it's it's clever
1: in its construction, but its characters do not seem particularly clever. He's the ultimate patsy. That, that's kind of why he's the blank slate. Uh, one of the things that Nolan talked about is he really wanted to showcase character development through the actions. But all you learn is this guy's an idiot. He has uh, he you know complete blank slate. Um, He says he's a writer, but I I don't know. And One of the things you meant. He's got a typewriter, buddy. He's got himself a typewriter. (laughs) He's a writer. That's right. Not everybody can be miles from sideways, right? Like the the average. You know, in fact, (laughs) Paul Giamatti's filmography is the guy who's not good enough. (laughs) Holdovers, American (laughs) splendor, sideways. Yeah. And I'm 100% with you. The more you know about the background of the film, I think the more you can appreciate it, the actual experience, I I, I don't know who is really enjoying this film. But Nolan, again, I respect Nolan quite a bit, even though I'm constantly negative on everything Nolan, (laughs) but the reality is that he's a self-taught guy. He does so much work uh, before the camera even starts rolling, Uh, months of rehearsals, um, uh, uh, he loves uh, blocking he loves th- that precision to his craft is what allows him to have exactly what he wants on screen he's not a big deleted scenes guy he deletes his uh, scenes in, in the script editing process right um, and one of the things he talked about as he was making this film as the conception of it was happening was he was looking at Kevin Smith clerks he was looking at El Mariachi Rodriguez the goat <laughs> that's <laughs> <Yes>. right <laughs> and he was seeing like what can be done like these kind of films can find distributors right like he can do this and so uh, it, it, you know he he does have a knack for being a little um artsy farty you know right uh, he 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 won't look at a monitor on on set uh and, and when he f- finally he was the dp of following so he was doing all the camera work and he was struggling to get uh, uh to hire a director of photography for his next film because he wanted to make sure that that person uh, ha- thought exactly like him. Wally Fister, who he eventually hired, great, great DP, terrible director. What did he direct, by the way? Uh, Transcendence, the Johnny Depp sci-fi. Ooh, is that it? <laughs> yes, that's it. Oh, no. People, that came out and people were like, no, thank you. <laughs> and, which, is, which is wild because so many people have one crappy film after another. But I think what that one was, it, it, it went to like a ballooned. To something like a hundred and fifty million dollar budget or something ridiculous. Oh my god! Yeah. So Nolan is a, an exceptional craftsman, you know, and I I think the conclusion that I came up with I I think Nolan is more like a modern day John McTiernan who thinks he's like a Ooh. Terrence Malick. I think I like this. I think that's
0: where you know, I, I would take that as high praise, sir. That, that, that is, yeah, absolutely the nicest thing
1: you've ever said about Christopher <laughs> Nolan, and he would hate <laughs> you for it. Would absolutely hate you, <laughs> right? He, I think he has aspirations uh, higher than someone like McTiernan, and I think people think that he is on the level of of like a Malik or a Charlie Kaufman, right? But I, he's not. I think McTiernan is an awesome director. Who knows how to put together uh, an exciting uh, film, and that's where Nolan is. I just I feel like Nolan reaches uh, uh, for for something greater, and I don't think he's capable of it. And I feel bad. Memento, though, <laughs> Memento is that that perfect blend of thriller and high concept that he is uh, constantly striving for. Uh, but hey, you know what? I will be. First in line for any Nolan... I was there at Barbenheimer, baby. Both films. Same weekend, right? I'll be there. Hey, which one did you watch first? <sighs> Unfortunately, it had to be Oppenheimer, <laughs> just because the way the timing worked out. <laughs> I was setting you up
0: to give a compliment, or you know, <laughs> give Oppenheimer the L. Somehow you chose it first <laughs> and said, "Unfortunately, I had to watch it before Barbie." The reason is
1: because it ended up being like a 10:30 p.m. showing, and I was like, "Oh, geez, you know," uh, I had to do of Oppenheimer. Yeah, it was. I wow, I know you are a brave man. Man, I
0: didn't get out of the theater till like two. I have one note here that is, I think, very complimentary, uh, and it goes against the um, sort of auteur Christopher Nolan as I, I see him. It was a very interesting point that he made uh, in this this chapter. Uh, so from Best Movie Year Ever, Nolan credits Tarantino's story-splitting crime anthology Pulp Fiction with giving filmmakers a permission slip to futz around with a story structure. But he also points to the at-home technologies – That changed the way viewers absorbed movies and the way they controlled them. For decades, movies would leave theaters and head to television, a medium that demanded linear storytelling. Quote, back then, if the doorbell rang because the pizza guy was there, you had to get up, pay, get a plate, and sit back down, and then pick up the movie without having missed anything too vital, says Nolan. Quote, then VHS comes along and you can hit pause. Immediately, you've got a profound shift in the potential of story structure and density of storytelling. You can put more and more detail in the frame. That struck me as not very Christopher Nolan like. Um, you know, he's obviously a big proponent of the theatrical experience, and I appreciate you know that because I'm as a regular moviegoer once or twice a week. I love him championing that, but I don't think you would think Christopher Nolan as, man, VHS was awesome because when the pizza guy showed up, I could pause the movie <laughs> like that. Like that just doesn't sound like a Nolan thing, and I, I, I found that very, uh, very endearing and likable, and very charming of Mr. Nolan. I don't know if he still feels that way. Uh but yes, Christopher Nolan, also champion of the VHS experience. That was very quaint, very nice. As he's using his
1: greasy fingers to push the VHS. <laughs> <laughs>